Hi, I'm Val Hart in San Antonio, Texas, founder of Val Hart and Friends at ValHart.com. Welcome to The Real Dr. Doolittle Show, the show for animals and the people who love them. I've been called a real-life Dr. Doolittle many times in my career as an expert animal communicator, behaviorist, pet psychic, and master healer. My mission and passion is to improve the lives of animals the world over by helping humans learn how to speak their language, how to understand their viewpoints, and heal. After all, our love of animals helps us be better humans, and the more balanced and healthy we are, the more balanced and healthy they can be, too. Be sure and look for my CDs on iTunes, and to find out more about my work and to receive your free Quick Start Animal Talk course, just go to my website at valhart.com. While you're there for a limited time, you can also apply for a complimentary Happy Animal Assessment Session. And if you want to learn how to be your own Dr. Doolittle, check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system available now on my website at valhart.com. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Val Hart, The Real Dr. Doolittle, and today I'm talking with author Louise Height. She wrote Divine Rainbow, Nature is Spirit Teachers, and her latest book, Going to the Dogs, is the one that we're here to talk about today, and I think is going to be so inspiring, and you're going to love hearing about so much, and reading too. Louise lives in the Ojai Valley in the central coastal region of California. She's got a wonderful master's degree in Eastern Classics from St. John's College in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She brings her academic knowledge of Buddhism, Hinduism, the literary classics of India, China, and Japan into her writing. She's traveled extensively through Asia. She lived on a 200-acre property surrounded in the Santa Fe National Forest in northern New Mexico for 20 years before she lived to, or moved to California, and the experience resulted in her first book, Divine Rainbow, Nature is Spiritual Teacher. It was published in 2006 and won first place in the New Mexico Book Awards in 2007. Congratulations, Louise. Thank you. <laughs> uh, she's also owned horses and dogs and cats her entire life, beginning with Skippy, a little dog that followed her home when she was eight years old, Crybaby, a hungry cat that showed up at the door, and Tony, a former wild mustang in Nevada that she bought for $50 without her parents' permission when she was 11 years old. I can't wait to hear that story. (laughs) Her website is goingtothedogsbook.com, goingtothedogsbook.com, if you'd like to go check that out while we chat. Um, And in the meantime, welcome to the show, Louise. I'm excited to talk to you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. So what inspired you to write Going to the Dogs? Um, what, what, what inspired you to write such a unique book? It began with uh, one of my dogs. I, the three dogs in the story are Kundun, a Pitbull Greyhound Rescue, and uh, Rasa and Tara, who are Catahoula Leopard Hound Sisters. And um, I, before I'd lived in California one year, um, Rasa was diagnosed with mast cell skin cancer and uh, had surgery like literally the next morning. Mm. And then two weeks later had to have a second surgery because there were complications. It, it, um, 
erupted again. And so there she was in the kitchen. She couldn't come to bed. She had one of those plastic collars over her head, and her most of her thigh muscle had been removed. And she was peeing and pooping all over the kitchen and howling all night long. And I thought, well, I need someone to explain this to her. And Laura Stinchfield had a column, a weekly column in our local paper, and I had been reading it. And I was intrigued by her, so I called her. And she came, and we had our first appointment. And I, silly me, thought, well, we'll just tell Rasa what happened, and that'll be that. And I was so amazed at the conversation that we continued having conversations for four more years. Well, we're still having them, but the book covers four years. Mm -hmm. And um, I realized after about six months, this is a story people are going to want to know. Mm -hmm. And so then I began keeping much more detailed notes of our conversations and started writing it into a book. I love that. You know, I, I always find that people go through such fascinating parts in their life. You know, and I think some of us actually have the thought, other people should know this. I should share this story. This is so fascinating. It's so, you know, incredible. It's so extraordinary. But so few of us take the time to actually put it to paper, you know, and then the follow-through of bringing it, you know, at, into a book um, and sharing it with people. But you did, and I just, I've got chill bumps. I'm just so honored and so proud of you for doing oh, well, the follow-through to, to make it, yeah, to bring the story out so others can share your journey and learn and be inspired and grow and heal, you know, too. So, um so that's that's why you decided to use an animal communicator. Um, so how did the communication with your dogs and horse actually change your relationship with them? Well, the um, in the first conversation, Tara, who is one of the Catahoula sisters, um, she had been abused as a puppy. She'd had horrible experiences uh, in New Mexico. And um, first, the abuse was workmen who were at my home working on the exterior of my house. And I didn't realize my dogs were being abused. Um, and, And then I got her through that as best as I could, and I just threw out all the training books, and I just developed my own way of working with the dogs after they had been almost ruined by this abuse. And um, then I hired a couple to work for me, and uh, they were there two years. And I was traveling in Burma. This was in 2004. And while I was in Burma, Tara kept sending me these images of her being hit in the head over and over and over. Hmm. And uh, I didn't know about animal communication. I, I didn't, I knew she was trying to tell me something, but I just didn't know what. Hmm. And so I literally, I had to tune her out for the rest of my trip just to be able to finish it. And we were remote. There, there were no phones. There was no way to call home. Hmm. 
And if I would have, I would have been lied to anyway, as I found out later. So I went home, and um, things were just definitely not right with her. But what she said in the first conversation was, the man with the boots kicked me in the head. And then I understood everything. I understood the scar next to her eye. I understood the blood that had been all over the cushion in her crate that he had turned over. I mean, all of a sudden it explained everything. So I realized that now they had a voice, and particularly for Tara after this traumatic experience. And um, he, he did tell me that she had bitten him when he tried to grab her collar and pull her out of her crate, which, of course, I had told him, never do that. That's her safe place. And um, so then I took her collar off so he could never do it again. But then his wife devised another way to abuse her without a collar. So, you know, it was kind of endless with them. And it did affect her the rest of her life. She was pretty much terrified of everybody. Yeah. And I mean, she had even bitten me after that, and it was my fault. I, but um, I could never get angry at her because it it was what had happened to her, and it did affect her the rest of her life. And for her entire life, I just tried to help her be emotionally well. She was very fragile. Right. And then another thing that happened was that uh, another main character is Genji. He is a Pasofino gelding. Oh, nice. Yes. (laughs) And um, I bought him when he was three. And, uh, well, now he's 18, but Uh the story ended a couple of years ago (laughs) in the book. Okay, okay. And uh, he all of a sudden one day just wouldn't go riding anymore. He would just stop, wouldn't move. And this was a horse who could not go far enough or fast enough or had, you know, just loved to go riding. So I took Laura out to talk to him, and uh, he explained to us how there had been a snake in his corral. He had a corral with a stall, Mm -hmm. and the snake scared him, and they, they noticed this, and they took him out of the stall and then, and he's a very jumpy, nervous horse, and he's not used to anyone handling him but me. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they ran into him with a little electric cart that they use around the stable. And apparently this injured him, but of course they never told me about this. Mm-hmm. So I gave them notice, and I moved him to another stable. Okay. So what you find out is you find out what happen to your animals what cause things that you are that seem unexplainable and then it leads to you know like vet care in in genji's case uh, i had acupuncture chiropractic treatments better feed and so that's how it changed my relationship i actually felt like i had friends not pets yes Thank you. Because they do think, animals think, they reason, they are just as intelligent and sentient as anyone else, uh, any human, some more so, <laughs> depending on the human. Oh, I find. Um, 
But yeah, and I really love that you brought that out. Uh, in my work, I'm a pet problem-solving expert, and I have the Heart System, which is a five-step program for solving problems with pets. And the very first step of any of solving any problem with an animal, what, whether they're nervous and jumpy, or they don't want to go riding one day, or they're howling, or they're you know whatever it is, or, or biting, or whatever. Um, the first step is to hear them, to give them a voice, let them tell us what's going on, because only they know from their viewpoint what's what their truth is. You know, what, that's exactly right. Right, and until we know that, what I always say is that we're doing a lot of expensive guesswork, just trying to guess what the problem might be. Maybe they need a vet, maybe they don't. Maybe they need a conversation. Maybe they need a different type of assistance. You know, maybe their food's bad, or maybe you know, um, there's so many things that could be going wrong in their world, and we couldn't possibly know that until we talked to them. And and this is. When I advise people to be proactive with their pet care, yes. because we have an intuition, yes, and if do. our intuition feels that something isn't right, mm-hmm. it probably isn't, because uh, our intuition is actually an elevated consciousness tied into our higher self, yep. and it's always available for us to use and utilize. That's correct. Yes. Thank you for bringing that really important tip out. Um, Be proactive. If you feel something's wrong, you're right. There is something wrong. What what we don't know is what yet, um, but that takes a bit of exploration and a bit of detective work, and it has to start with a conversation. And it also can be serious observation. I'm not a TV watcher, so I sit in my kind of country kitchen, Mm -hmm. and I would observe my dogs just walking over to the water dish Mm -hmm. and how they would walk, and that is literally how I found, saw a tumor on Mm -hmm. Tara's leg that was not there a week before. Right, right. And you you need to observe, it's kind of, you know, livestock people know this, they know you always watch all the animals. And if their behavior becomes different, you've got something going on. Because animals are very stoic. They will keep going until they fall over. And with a lot of livestock, when they go down, that's it. And dogs and uh, cats, they will let you know, but you've really got to be observant. The one thing I have to say, though, is that once you open the lines of communication with your animal, they are really happy to tell you that they don't feel well today or they're, they've got a pain or they've got a headache or something is wrong with my vision. Or I mean, if, if they know that you can hear them, then they don't have to be stoic. Think of it this way. If, if you were living in a world where the humans could not understand you, uh, were not paying attention, and, you know, you, I mean, it was like you, you felt like the humans were um, not sentient <laughs> or not intelligent, you know. Uh, I mean, it's almost to that point sometimes, you know. Um, but if that was your world, your, you know, your experience was that people can't hear me, then your only choice when you're hurting is to be stoic, to do the best you can, because they can't hear you anyway. 
right? So, but everything changes when they know that you can hear them and that you care and that you want to know and that, you know, you're not going to do things to them. You're going to do things for them and with them and you're going to explain it and you're going to answer their questions or, or their fears or their worries or their concerns. Um, now we're in partnership. Now we have a relationship that they can count on, right? Exactly. And one Everything of the fir- changes. Yeah. One of the first things Laura said to me was, oh, I can tell you talk a lot to your animals. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of surprised to know that there are people who don't. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, I live alone with my animals, so that could have something to do with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. Um, so uh, let me ask you this. Did anything really surprise you about some of the conversations you had with your animals, your dogs or your horse? Yes, I was in for continuous surprises during mm-hmm. conversations, and okay. um, one of those big surprises was how they communicate with trees and birds oh. and wild animals. Cool. And, um, for example, we ha- we were having a huge rainstorm here. We get those in the, in the winter in Cal- Southern California, mm-hmm. and... Uh, I live in an area where there are coastal live oak trees, and it, the rain let up a little, and, and it had been windy also. The rain let, let up a little. I got my umbrella. I went outside because I thought the dogs needed a potty break, and um, I walked down the steps. They stayed on the top step, and I walked down, and I walked down to the center of the courtyard, and... Um, I kept calling them and calling them, and they just both stood on that top step with their eyes really big. And I thought, this is weird. I guess I'll just go back in the house, obviously. They're not going to go to the bathroom. I went back in the house. I went upstairs. I looked out the windows where down to where my car is parked, and I thought, wow, those branches could, you know, like break and fall on my car. I've got a problem here. I couldn't have been up there more than 10 minutes, came back downstairs, looked out the kitchen door, which is glass, and that tree that I'd been standing under had fallen over. Wow. And the tr- and it was massive. And the mm. trunk was right where I'd been standing, under wow. my cute little red umbrella. <laughs> so the next car, you know, and then I have to wait until we have our conversations to find out anything. But I asked them if they knew the tree was going to fall over. And Rasa and Tara told me that there was a rumbling underground and the other trees screamed, get her out of there. Wow. So it's really been an incredible experience for me to to know how much communication there is with all sentient beings not, you know, just human beings. Right, right. Yeah. So they saved my life. Yes, they did. And how connected they are. You know, they're aware. They can hear. They're not, like, walking around blind. Exactly. Or deaf to the world around us. Yeah. Yeah. Another uh, surprising 
thing was that my horse Genji asked me to read him a book about horses. Oh, nice. And uh, so I took out the book Seabiscuit, and uh-huh. I wasn't going to read him the whole book, but I thought I'd read the races to him. Mm-hmm. And I had just seen the movie because I had a fundraiser in Ojai for a horse rescue sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was very fresh in my mind. Yeah. So I took the tree. I, I mean, just listen to me. I took the book over to the stall door, and um, he was in a stall after we'd gone riding. And I started reading to him. And the whole time I was reading, he kept bumping the back of the book with his nose. It was so cute. And um, and he never moved. He stood there the entire time, bumping the back. And he had said he wanted me to read it aloud so that the other horses would hear it and they could all talk about it later because they were so bored. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. then when... <laughs> I know. And so then um, I asked Laura, you know, how that had all gone. Could he understand me? Mm-hmm. And uh, he... He said that uh, they all talked about the passion Seabiscuit had for running mm. and how none of them felt like they had that kind of passion for anything. Mm. Yeah. And, and I said, but you have a passion for going riding. And Genji said, no, not like that. But then he was real cute, and he said, I have a passion for my mom, which <laughs> meaning me. Wow. I, you know what I love about that is that they got the passion Seabiscuit had for running. He did, and I find that all great um, racehorses do. They love to run. That That's what makes them, you know, so so extraordinary. Right, um, yes. Um, but, um, and if they don't have that love for running, then... Then they need to find a different job, you know. And if you know that, if the tra- if the racehorse people know which horses have a passion and love for the sport, um, and which don't, think how much they could have wasted effort and time and energy they could they could spend, <laughs> you know. Right. It, it, I mean, really. Um, but anyway, but but what I also love about the story is that if you know that your horse isn't passionate and isn't really loving what they're doing, what their work is, um, then you need to find, you need to converse with them. You need to find out what they do love. You know, what is fun for them? What's exciting for them? Why? It's like having a job that you don't, doesn't inspire you. (laughs) Uh, You know how it is? I don't know if you have. I worked for the government many, many years ago. And, uh, you know, government jobs are about the most boring things you can have in a lot of cases. That's what I've heard. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, and and people start getting into trouble, you know, because they're so bored out of their mind. They start causing problems and, you know, doing a piss poor job of it. And, uh, you know, just, just because... They're not engaged, you know. It's the same thing with our animals, our, our dogs, you know, our cats, our um, any of our sport horses, any of that. Um, we need to know that they really love their job, you know. And if they don't, we need to make some changes, you know. Truly, we need to change. So, yes, I think that's true. Yeah. He he told me he wanted to learn new things, so um, they had kind of a trail obstacle course there 
and I used to take him through it. And, oh, my God, at first he just could not figure it out. He was tripping on the rails, and then pretty soon he kind of figured And, of course, Pasofinos don't really walk. They have a little gait. So we were challenged by doing that at a gate also. Nice. Yeah, it was fun. And he did he did enjoy being challenged with new things. So it's true. Yeah, yeah. And that was my dog, Einstein. His favorite thing in the world is to learn something new. You know, he loves to engage his brain. And, and if we don't have our brain engaged, then what are we doing? You know, we're just going through the motions. Um, so, yeah. And, and, you know, everything. every time you learn something new, you boost your confidence. That is how I helped the dogs through their abuse. Yes. Was I took them to trick training classes. Mm -hmm. And Tara, the the most damaged from the abuse, was the best at the tricks. She just loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So awesome. Good for you. Okay. So let's go back to the story. Um, We haven't heard much about. Can you give us a little bit of a synopsis of of what the book's uh, about. So just realize we haven't actually given our listeners um, much about what what you talked about. The, a little summary? The, the conversations, the, the animals speak, they don't like have paragraphs the way we do. They go from one comment to the next. I didn't edit any of that. I just kept it the way, they, way it came through Laura. Mm-hmm. And then as... Mom and the author, I fill in some backstory. So the book is literally the four years of conversations, but it goes back to when we lived in New Mexico on the ranch and um, includes other family member pets, such as my son's dog and my daughter's dog. And so through the conversations in this in the book, you get... A, a larger picture, and uh, then one dog becomes terminally ill, mm-hmm. and he dies. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I decided to just walk the reader through the whole thing, through the diagnosis, the illness, the medication, the euthanasia, everything. And um, because we all deal with that as yes. as pet owners. And um, then about a week after he had died, we talked to him on the other side in heaven at Rainbow Bridge, whatever it is mm-hmm. we want to call that place. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is when the story became somewhat mystical because then we were having the experience of an animal friend who had died and was in a different reality but kept coming into this reality and um, Rasa for example is is disturbed by how he keeps coming in different shapes that Mm. it confuses her Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, he the dog who has died announces that, you know, he never came upstairs. The stairs scared him. And um, and he announces very proudly that he now comes upstairs. Mm-hmm. And, and he also, we have a little bit of a window into what 
they do in heaven. I mean, they do things. Um, Genji talks about how, uh, well, he got out of his stall one night, and uh, he said normally he's asleep since he was up and walking around. There were these um, veterinarian spirits that came to the stable to take care of horses who did not have good moms, is how he put it. And um, Laura asked him if they had known each other before they died and went to heaven. And he said, no, they met each other in heaven and formed this group to come and be with horses who weren't loved and weren't taken care of. And so you get this idea that, wow, there's a lot more than anybody's really ever thought about going on with souls and or spirits. Yeah. Thank you. Brilliant point. There's so much more than we have a clue about. And until we actually start investigating and opening ourselves to the possibility and educating ourselves, then what in the world, what, what are the, all the amazing things that we're missing? It's like well, it's, I it's can tell you we're missing a lot based on <laughs> only exactly. four years of conversations with exactly. a I few animals. It. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And so thank you so much again for writing this book. Um, Again, the book is titled Going to the Dogs, An Incredible True Story. It has a foreword by animal communicator Laura Stinchfield. Um, It is available on Amazon, and the website is goingtothedogsbook.com. Do you have anything else you'd like like our listeners to know before we finish up here today, Laura? Yes, I I think that um, it's important to realize that animals have feelings, they have thoughts, they have dreams, intelligence, humor, and they know what we're thinking. And so uh, our thoughts should be positive. Laura taught us to do positive affirmations, Mm -hmm. which we would say every single night. And... um, they see what you're seeing on TV. They don't have to look at the TV. They can see it in your mind. So we should not be watching violence. It's it's not good for them. Well, it's not good for us either. And uh, sometimes they reincarnate and come back uh, to, into our lives again. Yeah. And uh, they can see the souls of humans who have passed, and they can hear what they say. They... Uh, were telling me how my mother would be here in the kitchen with me and what she was saying. <laughs> and and Kundun would say, I wish you could see her. Yeah. Well, I did too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can communicate with your animals um, with vivid thoughts, kind of vivid imagery like yes. a movie. Like, yes. that's how I read the book to Genji. I read it like I was watching the movie. Right, right. Well, you know, I, there are um, three different methods, uh, so to speak, or primary styles of um, sharing energy and, and information with each other. One is visual. Um, then there's the feeling. Um, some people aren't visual. You know, I've learned with my students that a lot of them are not very visual. They can feel and they can think and they can connect with concepts and they can get it in their body. You know, there's 
the, all the different different styles. It's kinetic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. The kinetic, the um, clear audience. Some of them hear it better. You know, they they hear it, but they didn't maybe get the image. But um, there's a lot of different ways to do that, and the movie visualization is an excellent uh, way to start for for people who are visual. Yes. Yeah, thank you so much, Louise. This has been so wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Again, um, if um, if you'd like to go check out the book, it's Going to the Dogs, An Incredible True Story. The author is Louise Height, and uh, the the uh, website is goingtothedogsbook.com. So, Louise, um, thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your heart with us and your love for animals. You're certainly welcome. My pleasure. Yeah, you're helping to make our world a better place. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's that's nice. Yeah, it's true. All right. Well, um, we'll catch up with you later, and um, go do some more wonderful stuff, and then let us know about it, okay? All right. (laughs) Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the show. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, go to valhart.com forward slash blog. And if you're someone who values a non-invasive, holistic solution to resolving problems with your dogs, cats, and horses, and you want better behaved, healthier, and happier animals, just go to my website at valhart.com to apply for a complimentary happy animal assessment session. And be sure and remember to look for my CDs on iTunes. Learning how to talk with animals is fun and will change your life. So while you're there at my site, get my free Quick Start Animal Talk course and check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system. May the love of animals bless you, teach you, inspire you, heal you, and reconnect you to the circle of life.